The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Alongside me, as always, on this Tuesday from Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon Lee Gowton. What's up, BLG? Stats, I'm excited to talk to you, but I'm also excited today because we have a very, very special guest. Uh, BGN radio listeners of uh, longtime BGN radio listeners will know there was once a podcast with this special guest that was like the best episode we may have ever done, but it got deleted and uh, it was a real <laughs> bummer. So I'm looking forward to getting to it today because I think this will be good. Sounds like things over at uh, BGN are run pretty much the way things are running with the Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles right now. But we are going to get to that because there was a fantastic article in The Athletic by Shield Kapadia, Bo Wolf, and Zach Berman all about the dysfunction in the Eagles organization. We want to dive into that. But before we do, we just want to remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. If you like what you hear, it really does make a difference. And the reviews are coming in. And so far, BLG, they are pretty good. Yeah, we have one we'll, we'll read a little bit later here. But we can't delay any more stats. We have to get into the Eagles thing. See, some say this is just an Eagles podcast on the national stage, and we're not going to do much today to dissuade that because we are going to talk to Shiel Kapadia, one of the authors of that article in The Athletic, to dive into everything that's going on or not going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. Shiel, you talked to people for two months for this article. What was the most surprising thing that you found out? Whew. The most, you know, I honestly, no, no one has asked me that yet. And I don't know that I can narrow it down to one thing. I mean, I, I think my big takeaway is the the failures in collaboration and the failures in transparency throughout the organization. You know, this was not just us calling up uh, like a couple people who had been fired and then venting and them having an ax to grind. I mean, this was a two month process where I don't know what the final number was. It, you know, it, it was in the dozens of, of people we talked to. So we were trying to paint a fair picture. And uh, really, when you look at it, so much of this stuff is relationship 
driven where it's all right, you know, on paper, this makes sense. The collaboration you want in an NFL organization with personnel, with coaching, with analytics, with the owner. Yeah, that that's all well and good. But you know what? When the when the relationships aren't there, when the relationships aren't managed, it does lead to some dysfunction, some paranoia, some chaos, some bad decision making. And I would say when as I've taken a step back here in the last day or so trying to think of uh, what do I think of all the big takeaways from this article? That's probably my biggest one. So, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about how, you know, any workplace is bound to have dysfunction. Yeah. Uh, you know, people brought up the dysfunction that came out about the Patriots. I remember, I think it was like a 2017 or so ESPN, uh, Seth Wickersham article, uh, you know, obviously they won after that. Um, to what extent do you think like this level of dysfunction or is this dynamic common in the NFL? Like what's the context here? Yeah, no, that, that that is a good question, and it is fair to look at it sort of league-wide. And it is true that, you know, NFL organizations are not the most well-run. You know, I know, like, just you, you think of your sort of early days as a fan, and you think, wow, you know, this must be the, the best and the brightest get to the NFL. And then you start, like, having conversations, and you're like, all right, you know, I'm not quite sure how that person uh, got, that, got that job. And so that is fair. You know, I, I wouldn't put the Eagles in, like, the dumpster fire category in terms of organizations. I think they're probably – middle of the pack. You know, if you look at their track record under owner Jeffrey Lurie, they're probably in the top 10 um, in terms of winning percentage, in terms of playoff appearances. They won a Super Bowl three years ago. Now, having said that, you can look at what's happened since the Super Bowl and they have not been, they've been mediocre to below average over a three-year span. And I think if you look at the way decisions are made, if you look at the process in the building, that they are open to scrutiny and that they are open to criticism. How did this team win a Super Bowl with all this stuff going on? You know, that there were there were people who were a part of that Super Bowl team who asked that, you know, after our interviews with them would say the same thing, that they don't know how, uh, you know, they did win a Super Bowl. You know, we always look at it, we analyze it. That's our jobs, that what's supposed to happen does happen. There's luck involved. There's injury luck. There's all sorts of things that uh, that that do happen. And so some of these issues were sort of um, bubbling under the surface that year, but winning good quarterback play. I mean, really, if Carson Wentz was a mediocre quarterback even last year, a lot of people still have their jobs. We're not having this conversation. We're probably not writing that story. So I'm not naive uh, to that. You know, during the Super Bowl season, they did not expect to be a Super Bowl team that year. You know, they they thought going into that season, and this is inside the building, this isn't uh, us talking, inside the building, they thought, you know what, maybe we're like a nine-win team, the quarterback improves a little bit, uh, we get our legs underneath us, and maybe we'll be really good the following year. So we talk all the time about windows, and, and teams say, well, you know, we thought we had this window. The truth is, a lot of times, they don't know what the window is, and there's too many variables involved to really know what the window is going to be. Now, if you have Patrick Mahomes in his mid-20s or late 20s yeah you're probably going to have a window there that's fair to say but for a lot of teams um, that's not the case so uh, they got good injury luck they got great quarterback play I think their coaching staff was exceptional that year in the in the way it collaborated and worked together and so I think a lot of those things kind of came together and uh, you know to be fair to Howie Roseman Jeffrey Lurie Doug Peterson no one can ever take that away from them I mean this was something the city had been starving for it's on their resume from now until eternity and they did bring bring the uh, bring the organization in the city of Super Bowl championship. 
Something that Les Bowen had brought up in the aftermath of your story, Shio, uh, on The Athletic. Is there a promo code you can plug here, by the way? Yeah, thank you for that. You can go to theathletic.com slash birds with friends if you uh, want to subscribe for a discount. Or I think even if you just click on the article, um, I think uh, there are some deals available by doing that. So appreciate that. Absolutely. So uh, Les Bowen brought up a point about how, like, based on what he's heard and based on the takeaway from the article, uh, just how, like, the rise of analytics within the organization has potentially or seemingly, like, empowered Jeffrey Lurie to think, you know, like, oh, I can make these decisions. Uh, I know what's best. And there's been talk uh, and mentioned in the story about how Lurie's involvement has really grown, especially since uh, what everything that happened with Chip Kelly and his ousting. What do you think is behind Jeffrey Lurie's increased involvement or was it always this way um, in talking to people like what's the sense there? Yeah, so he's always been very interested in the draft and personnel. Like owners have different interests, right? Some of them might be more on the business side. Some of them, it might be, you know, they just kind of like, hey, I'm a, I'm a billionaire. Let, let's go own a team. We'll show up on uh, Sundays and TV will show us in the box. Uh, Lurie is a like huge sports fan. I mean, I know this from doing previous stories on him. Like he grew up a big sports fan. He loves being a part of this. And I honestly think people are overdoing that aspect of it. I'm like, you know what? If I was a billionaire and owned an NFL team, you're done. Right, I'd be like, hey, you know, I kind of like this player uh, a little bit. Like, isn't that part of the fun? And so he's always had that interest. He's always had his opinions about it. He's always been a part of the process. Now, what I will say is that earlier during his tenure as Eagles owner, that say was, you know, it, it was a say, but that wasn't like what everyone listened to. You know, I don't think Andy Reid would say, all right, whatever Jeffrey Lurie says, that's the player we're going to pick. I mean, the fact of the matter is that's just not how it worked then. So I think there he had like a, a right-hand man, a leader of the organization, a final decision maker who he trusted, who had success very early in his career where he could say, all right, I don't, you know, I, I, I still want to offer my takes, but I understand if you're going to go in a different direction. So that to me is so telling isn't it right that like now the influence is a little bit more uh, oversized or whatever you want to say and I think part of that is he doesn't have that person you know Howie Roseman's job is to put everything together and so to me again it falls on him his job is to take what the owner says take what analytics says take what scouting says take what coaching says and make the final decision. But you want a person in that spot who can explain to people, Hey, uh, you know, Doug analytics isn't questioning you on this. They're trying to help. Hey, Jeffrey, I know you like this player, but you know, our scouts really have great information and our board says something different. Like, I understand that when your boss says they want something, we're all, you know, the natural inclination is going to be to do what the boss says. But the fact of the matter is that's not how it's always worked. And there has been uh, other scenarios where the boss, the owner has had a say, and still there's been pushback. There's been someone to explain to him, I understand. We appreciate your opinion. We're going to go in a, in a different direction. So that to me is what's lacking right now uh, with the Eagles. One of the things that surprised me the most is one of the first things that gets mentioned in the article is that Doug Peterson, every Tuesday, would have to sit down, win, lose, or draw with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and go over decisions from the game. You've covered the Eagles. You've covered other teams. Have you ever heard of a scenario where the head coach has to justify everything he does every week to the owner and the GM? Well, my understanding is that like the coach having to meet with the owner and answer questions is not 
uncommon. I mean, someone said, you know, there were different degrees to it. Someone said that's not uncommon. Someone said that does happen, but I wouldn't call it common. And so, you know, this isn't a situation where Jeffrey Lurie was like berating Doug Peterson. I mean, anyone who knows Lurie at all or has watched his press conferences, like he's not a confrontational person. And so that's not what was happening here. However, what was happening was that Jeffrey Lurie was asking a lot of questions about Doug Peterson, whether it was um, play calling, whether it was personnel usage, whether it was fourth down decision-making. And so he was asking those questions. And then again, that in and of itself is not the issue. The issue is when the head coach feels second-guessed. And someone with a lot of experience in the league said, head coaches, especially during the course of a season, by nature, are going to feel like they're second-guessed nonstop, right? You know, it's the media. We're asking them questions right after the game. We're asking them questions on Monday. We're asking them questions on Wednesday. We're asking them questions on Friday. If they read stuff, if they listen to sports talk radio, like eh, – you can almost say anything to them and they'll think you're second guessing them. So the fact of the matter is that Doug Peterson, you know, our reporting reflects that he did feel a little deflated. He felt second guessed. He felt doubted about his abilities, even in instances where he's going on the road against the Green Bay Packers, a 13 win team that season, putting up 30 plus points and winning a key game. And then answering those questions, he's feeling like, you know, come on, I've won a Super Bowl. This is too much. Now, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think a lot of this is on Howie Roseman. I mean, if you have a person in charge who's in charge of all the collaboration, who who has a great relationship with the coach and a great relationship with the owner who can go up to him after a meeting like that and say, dude, listen, uh, I feel like that didn't come across well. Uh, you know, we love that we won. Do what you want to do. This is just a part of the process. If you have questions or anything about it, we'll make changes. You're doing an awesome job. Then all of a sudden, it's not a big deal. But if that's not happening and there's not that trust there and that collaboration there, and you're in year uh, four of having to do this, that's when some of those things are going to kind of fester. I think what Sheila's touching on there is important. I, I've been kind of thinking about that too. I think it's it's been an off season where people are like, well, you can't actually blame Howie Roseman because Jeffrey Lurie is the owner. And I'm like, well, I still feel like Howie's part of the problem and him kind of being a yes man to the owner is enabling the owner. I mean, obviously you can only push back so far uh, as an executive, like the top guy has the power and you can't force his hand. But I think if there was more pushback, almost I think that would be healthier for the organization. Um, but Shield, uh, stats and many others say I'm way too negative about the Eagles. Uh, I just, I've never felt like more disillusioned with this team. I feel like it's a farce to care about like some of the mic micro, not micro as Bo Wolf would say, um, like the, the smaller things like new coaching staff, new scheme and things like that. When there are just like so many bigger issues, when you look at the big picture, um, and ones that the team like denies and seems to be in delusion about when we look, go back and we look at, you know, Jeffrey Larry's postseason press conference, uh, you know, talking about, Oh, uh, 35, wins in three years the super bowl blah 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 uh is there something here that does inspire hope um beyond just that like they've done it and they caught lightning in the bottle because i think that's the big thing here at least to me like everyone i saw people downplaying the athletic article cool because it's like oh they they know what they're doing they've won the super bowl again they've made the playoffs three straight years but i think that's really not necessarily uh representative of the process it's not like they they won the super bowl and they did all this because they're extremely well deserved they know what they're doing um it's it was just kind of more like oh they they caught lightning in that bottle so long-winded spiel there to say uh like what inspires hope about this team like can this be fixed this dynamic 
Yeah, I think someone mentioned that at the end of that article, we should have had an ad or something for therapy because the uh, Eagles, I think that was the take from like Eagles fans that we heard. It was that like, great job on the article, but like, I hate myself right now. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks for dropping this on a rainy Monday for me to start uh, my week. Um, you know, I don't get the sense that they're going to view these issues and be self-reflective about it. You know, if I, if I'm just being honest. And so um, now that again, that doesn't mean they're the worst organization in the NFL. I don't think that's the case. I think they have smart people in the building. I think that they're probably middle of the pack. And so if Nick Sirianni ends up being a good coach, if Jalen hurts, um, you know, really is a fit for what they want to do and surprises people like there are avenues to it. You know, you might have three first round picks next year, right? So, it's kind of like they're, you know, they're taking their medicine this year. They're buying some time. But if you look at it long term, like they have assets in place to sort of rebuild. Now, because so much of this is relationship driven, is to me, it's like unless you directly address that with the people in the building or that they change their the way they operate or that they make these things a priority, it's not going to change because you know the people in charge and specifically Howie Roseman has been there for a long time. And it's not like this was just you know one regime who he's had issues with. I mean, this is his fourth head coach who he's working with. And again, there it hasn't all been bad. It's not like they missed the playoffs every year or anything like that, but like these issues have come up kind of time and time and time again. And so um, in terms of hope and inspiration, it's pretty much what I said. You know, if if there's someone in the organization who is being groomed to kind of fill that role as collaborator to really make everyone work together or build a better culture, that would be a sense of hope. If Sirianni's a really good head coach, that would be great. If Jalen Hurts uh, plays really well, that would be great. But when I look at the overall process and culture, um, you know, I, I would view it kind of skeptically that a lot's going to change there. But if you're Jeffrey Lurie, let's say, and you read this article, what you should come away with to me is that there is a there is a schism between the quote unquote analytics people and the football people in the organization. Everybody is not pulling in the same direction. Do you think there's a chance he reads this article and gets everybody in a room and says, I'm locking the door and nobody's coming out of this room until we're all pulling in the same direction and realizing that we are all on the same team. It's 100% what should happen. I mean, really, you you spelled it out perfectly there. Like, that's what needs to happen. And whether that's Lurie or somebody else, there needs to be a leader that says, listen, I know you guys have read this article. Other articles have been out there. You know, it's not just ours. You, you've seen the rumors, but we're starting a new era. We have a new head coach. We got to fix this right now. Now, again, uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I would think the internal reaction might be more a sense of denial or um, this stuff happens everywhere or, you know, that wasn't fair. We've made the playoffs in uh, three of the last uh, four years. I mean, there are all different types of things. And I would think that would be more the reaction internally, just kind of knowing um, what I know about how uh, people operate. But, you know, one nugget we had in there was that Brian Dawkins in 2017 gave this like big speech to football operations, you know, kind of doing what you uh, just said there, Rob, which was like, you know, we all need to be on the same page. We need to stop the infighting. And we've all seen Brian Dawkins give, you know, speeches in his jersey to the team. And you watch it and are just like, you know, ready to run through a brick wall. And there were like people in the building who said that they heard that speech and like got chills and, and goosebumps and were like, let's go. But again, it didn't really, you know, they won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, that year. Yes. But it didn't lead to any sort of uh, long term change or anything like that. So I don't know whether it, it's possible with the people in the building or whether it would need um, kind of significant change. 
Okay, last one for me, and that is the Eagles have a ton of big decisions coming up. They have quarterback decision. They have a treasure trove of draft picks that they are going to have to use in the next couple of years. Knowing all that you know and all that you learned in the course of researching this article, what's your level of confidence that they are going to make good on the opportunity that they have in front of them? Uh, not, not high. I would say, I mean, listen, a lot of it comes down to luck anyway, right? You could have a top five pick and take a quarterback and it's probably 50, 50, whether he hits or not. So I, I don't want to say it can't happen. I mean, very well. Um, even if Jalen hurts doesn't work out this year, right? Like I said, they could have three picks and you take a big swing on a quarterback and it could work out. And all of a sudden that papers over everything else, because then that makes up for any other issues, um, you could have, but in terms of the process, uh, I don't have great confidence that they're going to figure things out and be able to get this thing uh, on track in the next couple of years. Now, again, that doesn't mean they're going to go four and 12, um, but just in terms of a long-term sustained success being viewed as one of the top five or six franchises in the NFL, that's just kind of in the mix year in and year out. Um, I, I would view that kind of skeptically right now. Okay. So we haven't really done a ton to boost the morale <laughs> of Eagles fans. I'm sorry for that. But this is a wit, the way things are. We wanted to get to the bottom of it. Shield, thank you so much for the time. If you haven't checked it out, subscribe to The Athletic. It is awesome. Shield Kapadia, Bo Wolf, Zach Berman. Awesome article on the Eagles. Thanks for the time, Shield. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Okay, BLG, do you feel better about the Eagles or worse about the Eagles after hearing what you just heard? Do I feel better about the Eagles? No. Do I feel better in general about, like, life and having some of my concerns validated nationally <laughs> yes i do because this was like not to say like i knew all this stuff like the athletic did a great job but like this is the sentiment of why i've been so negative about the eagle stats like you asked me every like oh you're so down on the team this is why because they're dysfunctional and it's like it, this hadn't been getting any kind of national attention before this i think howie roseman does a great job of keeping national reporters on his side, uh, and that's honestly that's something that's on, uh, touched about in the article there about Howie Roseman like trading scoops, you know, with these reporters, and this is what he's buying with those with those scoops is like is, uh, getting in their their goodwill and their good graces and such. So uh, I feel relieved that this is coming out now, and I think that's hopefully part of the uh, the process to healing and resolving this. Look, I I hope that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman see that article and see all the negative attention it's getting and reflect and say, wow, maybe we really do need to evaluate. But kind of like Sheila is saying, I think the hubris of this organization, which is a big problem here, they think they know better. They don't think things are as bad as everyone thinks they are. Like, that's the problem with me. It's almost like the Carson Wentz thing, right? It's like Carson Wentz, for him to kind of get better, he needs to admit he has a problem and kind of realize that he doesn't have all the answers. Well, the Eagles have to do the same thing. They have to realize that they don't have all the answers and they can't just keep doing what they've been doing or things are going to continue to only be bad here. I, like People want to say three straight years of the playoffs before this past season, Super Bowl win, again, stats. It's not about the end result. It's about the process. The process isn't good. They caught lightning in a bottle. Like That's what they did. And to their credit, they, they you get credit for that. You don't take that away, but you don't also use that to say, well, we know what we're doing and we're above reproach, beyond reproach, because we did these things. No, it doesn't work like that. But we've seen organizations where a strong head coach can come in and sort of 
push back against a strong owner for like the example that comes to mind for me is Jimmy Johnson with the Cowboys. I mean, there's no stronger owner in the NFL than Jerry Jones. Hell, Jerry Jones acts as the general manager. And Jimmy Johnson, when he was able to go in there, pushed back and they won Super Bowls. We've seen coaches. I mean, look at Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers. The 49ers were leakier than any organization in sports. Kyle Shanahan gets the job, and now nobody knows what the hell the 49ers are doing. They're trading up to three. They're trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, a head coach can change an organization like that. Don't you have hope that Nick Sirianni could maybe be that guy? No, because look at (laughs) Doug Peterson. I mean, like, look how they treated Doug. Do you not think they're going to treat – you know, Nick Sirianni the same way or similarly, this is a guy like what clout does Nick Sirianni have? He's a first time head coach who wasn't even on a lot of people's coaching radars, which doesn't necessarily matter in general in terms of him being able to be successful, but in terms of having clout, like he doesn't have that. And that's why I'm skeptical of someone coming in here and being able to kind of be a no man. I think that's what the Eagles really need. And a lot of organizations in general needs that. It's someone who will say, no, collaboration doesn't mean literally agree on everything and always say, yes, that's not collaboration. Collaboration is being able to disagree uh, constructively and voicing different opinions and having a process where you can kind of, arrive at the best decision based on different people's voices, but also ultimately, you know, one person, ideally not the owner, because we've like, how are we not learning this by now? I get, and I get Larry wants to have a voice. No one's saying Jeffrey Larry or any owner shouldn't have input and a voice in the say, but why even hire a GM if you're just going to do his job? Like what's the, what's that guy getting paid for then? Like, what is the point of having him there? You're not wrong. I, I probably to shield yourself from criticism, right? If you have a GM yeah. and then you make moves that don't work out and you're forcing the moves on them, that you can always fire that guy. No one like <laughs> Jerry Jones said, I, I probably would have fired myself if I was the GM, but of course he's not going to do that. And so that's the situation that you're in. It's, it's frustrating. I totally get why you're frustrated. I'm just trying to find some sort of hope for you because like if you can't go into a season with any hope whatsoever, like what is the point? Like that sucks as a fan. I I agree, Stats. That's why I'm here. This is why, again, I I just feel so disillusioned, so checked out. I'm not going to say there's zero percent chance. You know they can because anything can happen. Um, but it's just like like Shield said. It's it's kind of what is the general feeling ultimately? It's skepticism, and. I think it's fine to say like, okay, maybe Julian Hurts can be good. Maybe Nick Sirianni could be a good head coach. Um, I think even just applying this to some of the worst teams in the NFL, um, but there's hope for certain things. Like you're like, okay, we're going to get better. I just think in this situation that the Eagles are in specifically, you know, they've been on this downward trend. It's not like a new, and that's the other thing. Like if the Eagles had pressed reset fully this offseason stats, like some of these other teams did, let's say like Jacksonville. Now, again, don't like the Urban Meyer hiring. Don't like Trent Baalke as GM. But in theory, and at least for now, until those guys prove to be as bad as we know they're going to be, uh, <laughs> Jags fans have that hope because it's something new. It's a, it's a new era. And I think part of the problem with what the Eagles did and why I was advocating for like a full sweeping change is that so that hope could be there because it's like, okay, we can give this group the benefit of the doubt uh, as opposed to a regime that's been in place and we've only seen the same issues pop up over and over, like Shield said, in terms of uh, there's been these power struggles and whatnot when Howie has been in the building. So it feels like even if they kind of, and maybe this is me being too negative here, but 
it feels like even if the Eagles can get this on the right track, like is it only a matter of time until the shoe drops again and things go sideways like they did with Doug, like they did with Chip, like they did with Andy at the end of his tech? Like it just feels and, – and honestly, it does. And that's how it is going to go because head coaches ultimately get fired a lot. They don't last. The one, a lot of them do not last, even the good ones. Um, so it's just kind of – it's frustrating to be in a spot where you just kind of – you're almost waiting for something to go wrong. I'm sorry you're in that situation. Um, what I'll say to you is this. As someone who roots for the 49ers, the team has had the weirdest last 10 years ever. They're either terrible or they're in the Super Bowl. It's sort of a crazy time. There is no, like, hire this GM, hire this coach, and you're good forever. Like you said, it's always cyclical. So, mm-hmm. you know, I what I would say to you is, just hope for a good, you know, five years. And then after that, yeah, things might take a downturn, but, you know, that you deal with it then. You know, there's no one they could hire where you're going to say, okay, everything is good now. Yeah, and that's fair. That's what I was saying, too. I'm being too negative at that point and looking probably too far down the road just because of the nature of the NFL and how things can change quickly. Um, yeah, all right. You convinced me. You... you uh... When you make me the positive one, that's scary. Let me just point that out. Like, I hate everything, and I'm trying to talk it up here. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't love it either, Stats. Uh, I'm just a cheery guy, you know? <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I never like to say bad things about anyone, no. Um, it's just a weird spot to be in where, again, I, I said it with Shield. Like, I've never been more disillusioned with this team. I feel like even back during the Chip Kelly era, and maybe that kind of burned me, like, I had hope and faith in him when clearly I shouldn't have. But, like, even when it's been dark before, I've just been like, okay, like, maybe they can figure it out. And I want to be clear here. I think it's totally fine if you are an Eagles fan or a fan of any team where the, you know, the outlook isn't looking so rosy and you kind of have that relentless optimism. I think that's fine. I'm never saying, cause I feel like I get a lot of flack for like the being too negative thing. I'm not saying you can't be positive. I'm just saying how I feel. I'm telling you that I don't feel good. I'm not going to say you shouldn't feel optimistic at all. Of course you should. You're a fan. That's the, that's the point of this stats, the point, And that's the definition of fandom. There's an irrational element to it. It's not about being totally rational, but it's a little different for you and me as people who quote big J journalists, you know, like commenting <laughs> on this with some level of objectivity. Uh, it's just a different element. So and I think even more so than people who, you know, cover the team as beat writers or whatever, who, you know, aren't fans at all. It's different for you and me because we kind of blur the lines of that, you know, objectivity of a journalist, but also trying to bring the passion of fans because we're SB Nation. And that's kind of our thing. Uh, literally, let's start a tagline here on the show. It's like for fans by fans. That's literally the tagline of the SB Nation NFL show. Nice to know that you know the timeline, the tagline without looking at the logo that I have up on our screen. <laughs> I totally just broke it. Spot. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, there was a retirement yesterday by Julian Edelman that drove me nuts. And now BLG is going to be the sane one and try and talk me down. I'll explain what I mean when we come back. Back here on the SB Nation NFL show, the best show on the SB Nation NFL show, the most important show, the off-day debrief, a.k.a. the oddcast, as I always call it. I think I only call it the oddcast steps, which, (laughs) you know. That's what it should be called, in my opinion. Anyway, I uh, wanted to read us a review that I teased earlier in the show. This is coming from A17 Can't Stop Me, title B17 
BG, I got my own initials wrong stats. This is going terribly. BLG and Mario uh, ate wrong. And Mario here referring to Mario Cap, who left us a review last week. Shout out to him. Five stars, of course. And the review is, I found the Espionation NFL show through BGN Radio. And I got to say, BLG and Mario ate wrong. It's an Eagles podcast with some extra NFL info thrown in. It's clear the birds have the superior fan base. I mean, no disagreement there. But all jokes aside, the whole team on the SB Nation NFL show are awesome. I'm a diehard football fan. I need all the football I can get, and you guys deliver. You all shine bright in your own ways. Love tuning in daily to get my NFL updates. Stats, I always feel like it's kind of a little uh, self-aggrandizing, maybe, if you will, for us to read compliments about ourselves. But I think it's nice to hear from the people, and you can hear yourself or hear us read your review by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast, and it'll be good. And if you have questions for us, like throw those in there too. We will happily do that, especially as we go on. I would love to do, you know, a couple episodes like mailbag episodes. We're all for yes. that. So leave your question and we will answer it. And especially if you want to insult RJ Ochoa's singing, I'm all for that. Let's get into a retirement that happened yesterday, BLG, and that's Julian Edelman, retired from the Patriots. He was really banged up last year. He has had an incredible career, like literally the movie-type career. He's a quarterback at Kent State. He knows he's not good enough in college to be a pro quarterback. So right after he's done with college, he starts working on other positions because he knows that's his only way to get into the league. He gets drafted by the Patriots in the seventh round, and turns into one of the best receivers the team has ever had. Huge clutch performer, massive in the playoffs, has some great playoff and Super Bowl moments. But I see this news yesterday, and on Twitter, I see people saying Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer, and it makes my head explode. He has no career Pro Bowls. He has no career All-Pros. He has never, ever, ever, ever led the league in a single category. Why are people saying that this dude should be in the Hall of Fame? I reject the notion that this is even a real debate because stats, if we do this, then it like makes it a real thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if we actually give credence to this and like shout it down and explain why, I feel like then we're legitimizing the conversation. And it's not even legit. It doesn't like it's not even a conversation. He's not now. That being said, I'm not trying to crap on him and Patriots fans, although I like to do that any chance I can get. <laughs> I will say uh, two Julian Edelman moments that stick out to me the most were when he used to play like nickel corner. Do you remember that? When he was like on defense and he was actually lining up like with a wide receiver number on defense because he did that. I remember Troy Brown doing that, but he did it too. He's so tiny. Yes, he did. It was it was earlier in his career, I believe. Unless I'm like having a fever dream right now and I'm making this up, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that did happen. And then the other thing is, I mean, I think you can't I will never be able to not think of 28 to 3 to come back with the insane I don't even know what you call it. The catch, the diving catch with like three defenders near him and watching that live, you know, I think I can speak for many of us, definitely Gina Thomas, uh, you know, our, our favorite Falcons fan who were like, there's no way that's a catch. Like, this is no way when you're, you're watching that live and you're like, that can't be a catch because it makes no sense. Like it, that just should not be caught. And 
at that point you knew like i mean you you might have known before that but at that point i feel like that's when you just knew like the patriots are winning this game they don't make the cat catch and lose this game so uh to his credit again like you said very high highs and a very memorable player ultimately in nfl history but not enough to even be in a legitimate discussion for hall of fame i totally agree with you I will say to his credit that the only guy that has more yards and catches in the playoffs than Julian Edelman is Jerry Rice. Now, part of that, I think, mm. is the fact that the Patriots were in the damn playoffs every year. But that's credit to him. He deserves it. Like, he has had an incredible career. I just feel like we're in this place now where somebody retires and they either stink or we put them in the Hall of Fame. We never just say, hey, this guy was really good. That's, that's not fun. You got to have the extremes here. <laughs> This is a podcast, Stats. There's no room for nuance. It's all about hot takes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I just, it, it just drove me nuts. Like, I I didn't like it when the Super Bowl, after he made that catch, people were saying he was a Hall of Famer. So I, I had to get that off my chest. He's one of those guys that, like, you love when he's on your team, but there was nobody I wanted to see drilled more when the Patriots were playing than Julian Edelman because he was just so frustrating to watch. If it was third and five, he gained six. If it was third and eight, he would get nine. And he would always catch it like two yards short of the sticks and then wriggle through and get the first down. Wes Welker came before him, right, in New England? Yes. But, But, like, when you think of, like, the prototypical Patriots slot receiver, like, that's what Julian Edelman is. And that's kind of like, he's kind of almost like the template in that sense. Like, every time the Patriots draft another uh a guy like him you're like oh next julian edelman like that's their that's their next guy it doesn't even matter uh, and it doesn't matter where it's from either right like it, it doesn't have to be like their first round pick it could be like udfa seventh round guy you've never heard of before it's like oh that's the next edelman right there and it hasn't been and it's gonna be tough to be because he was a really good player not a hall of famer really good player yeah wes welker disrespect was strong on twitter yesterday like welker led the league in catches three times he had, I think, five years of a thousand yards or more. Like Welker was better at that job than Edelman was. How many Super Bowl rings for Wes Welker's stats? I don't know, and I don't care. He never won. I'm pretty sure he never won a Super Bowl. Well, look, he's the current wide receiver coach for the 49ers, so I'm not going to say anything bad about him. Dude was a monster. He never won a Super Bowl. He made the Pro Bowl five times. I think he said uh, no. A couple Super all pros, but no Super Bowl ring. Then that's that's how we remember guys, right? Like Edelman has the playoff moments, so he gets elevated in our minds, even if day in and day out, I think Wes Welker was the better player. Yeah, I mean, Super Bowl ring shouldn't be everything, but it is pretty funny, though, because he played, you know, what? He played with uh, Peyton Manning. He played on the Broncos, played with Tom Brady, and yet no Super Bowl for him. The same thing with Randy Moss. I mean, Randy Moss played with Tom Brady in the best year Tom Brady ever had and didn't win a Super Bowl. And almost won a Super Bowl in 2012, right? He was on that roster, right? When they lost, he was. Thanks for bringing that up, though. What, what, what <laughs> was the point of that? We've we've delved into the Eagles' dysfunction all show, so you're trying to get back at me by mentioning the the Super Bowls the 49ers have lost. Well, it's okay because you guaranteed the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl this year, so I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll work out. I did no such thing. Stop trying to put words in my mouth. And when I'm proven right, by the way, I want <laughs> I want all the praise. You will never be able to criticize me again. I think we're going to have to make a bet on that or something. Because you keep saying like when you're right. But what happens when RJ and I are right? Which we are definitely going to be right. Never. No, never happened. Mm. We'll figure out the terms of that bet. Uh, last thing. 
because we are on the, you know, couple weeks away from the NFL draft. There's been a lot of talk one to three, who's going to go, what are the picks going to be at four is the Atlanta Falcons. And to me, it's a really interesting kind of pivot point for the draft because they could be the team that drafts the fourth straight quarterback, which I don't think we've ever seen, or they could be the team. A lot of people are saying the Broncos may trade up with to take a quarterback. Atlanta's got some decisions to make. Yeah, and you know, reading the what's been put out there, it kind of almost reminded me of the um, Jeffrey Lurie edict about Jalen Hurts stats. Is that I saw that uh, Arthur Blank wants the Falcons to kind of stick with Matt Ryan and kind of you know continue to win, and that makes sense from an owner's perspective, right? Like if you're you're an owner, you're older, you want to win now, and Matt Ryan's your guy. He's been your guy for a long time. You don't want to just move on from him. You know what you have in him, and you have confidence that okay, we can make this one last run. And wouldn't that be nice? Like if you're that owner, like we can tie a bow in this era and not like just give up on it and start anew. And then who knows if that'll even be good? And maybe we're going down a path where we're gonna have to keep resetting if we can't find our guy. So that's the Arthur Blank side of it. But then from the Terry Fontenot side of it, it sounds like he wants to draft a quarterback and kind of start this new era. And of, of course, like he doesn't have ties to Matt Ryan. Um, the Saints have beaten Matt Ryan quite a bit. So uh, he's been on the other side of that. I and I I, I think I lean towards the start new. Um, or at least have a backup plan in place. I think there is absolutely the combination of being this high where the Falcons are. And I think getting a talent now, again, it depends how the board shakes out here. Um, but if like Trey Lance is available to them, uh, if Justin Fields falls to them, then I think that's pretty intriguing. And I feel like you have to consider that. What about you? What do you think they should do? Should they try to ride this out with Matt Ryan or should they kind of start preparing for the future? To me, there's no question they need to start preparing for the future. Matt Ryan has been as good as you could ever hope for a draft pick to be. This is not a knock on Matt Ryan at all, but look at where the Falcons are. Like you said, they just got a new GM. They just got a new head coach. They need to turn the page. They have the fourth pick in the draft in a year where they're probably going to get a pretty good quarterback if they want to take one there. What is the point of running it back with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones again? Unless you think that this roster was so loaded and that the only problem was the head coach, like, it doesn't make sense. Why do you fire your general manager but then think you can run it back? If you think the players were good enough to run it back with, you shouldn't have fired the guy that picked all those players. So to me, I always favor turning the page. I just I think they're making a mistake. I think owners get attached to certain guys. They get sentimental. Don't forget. When Matt Ryan is drafted, he's coming into a dumpster fire. Bobby Petrino just up and left in the middle of the night. The franchise quarterback in Michael Vick just went to jail for fighting <laughs> dogs and all the dirty details that came out with that scandal. Matt Ryan came into NFL Siberia, and basically from the second he got in the league, he has been really good. The first pass he ever threw, I believe, was a touchdown pass. He has been a stabilizing force for that organization and I think that you get attached to that as an owner because you recognize what he did for that team for so long. Why can't you do both is, I guess, what I'm thinking about. In general, I think you should commit you know, to a lane and stay there and try to maximize that. But kind of thinking about it differently just in terms of what the Packers did last year. Now, they drafted Jordan Love and they still made it pretty far into the playoffs. You know, Aaron Rodgers has this fantastic season. Like, why can't the Falcons kind of try to do both? You know, they restructured Matt Ryan's contract, so he's not going anywhere right now. He's, you know, he's still the the starter for this season. But, like, why not be able to kind of 
try to win now with Matt Ryan and you can still, you know, you can draft other pieces beyond the first round that kind of help him and put something in place. And, and you're trying to make a run for it. Um, while also preparing for the future, like the Packers are doing now with Jordan Love. Like, can't you do both? I don't think you can, because the best thing you can have in the NFL right now is a quarterback on a rookie contract. And from the second you draft that guy, as RJ Ochoa likes to say, the sand is starting to run out of that hourglass to when he's going to be up for a new deal. The Packers have no idea what they have in Jordan Love, right? They're obviously not going to get rid of Aaron Rodgers this year. He just threw 48 touchdowns and won the MVP. So that means the earliest Jordan Love is going to get in the league is year three. And if he has a really good year in year three, you know what the Packers are going to have to do? They're going to have to pay him market rate for a quarterback. So they have completely lost out on the best window that your team has historically under the new CBA to win a Super Bowl. So that's why I I think you can't have one foot in each area. You have to go all in on the young guy because historically what we've seen is the teams that have quarterbacks on rookie deals are the teams that win Super Bowls unless you have Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. I would have tried to move on from Matt Ryan. I would have tried to trade him and kind of kind of almost do it like Detroit did, basically. Kind of be like, all right, you know, we kind of, you know, we like you, Matt Ryan. Like, just like the Lions. We like you, Matt Stafford, but we kind of hit our ceiling here and we need to reset this thing. And, you know, I don't know what the market was for him. You know, I can't speak to that. Maybe the value wasn't there. I don't know. But I kind of just feel like they have reached their ceiling with Matt Ryan. And that's why I feel like a quarterback makes sense. But because of the restructure and everything, they kind of have committed to him. So I guess in that confines, that's where I kind of almost want them to do both. Because I think I just think it would be a big mistake if they just go all in on Matt Ryan and be like, we have this window here. I think I don't think it's impossible. It could work. Um, I'm not going to say that because I think uh, it's funny. I just I don't buy the Falcons because we we almost talk ourselves into them every year. I feel like since they lost the Super Bowl, it's like watch out for the Falcons. The talent's still there, and it hasn't been like completely like untrue because it hasn't like they've been like they totally bottomed out it's actually kind of been frustrating i feel like they've kind of been in the worst place you could be sometimes because they would be like one of the worst teams in the league and then they would rattle off some meaningless wins that only like (laughs) kind of ruined their draft stock and kind of like bought dan quinn way more time than he probably should have had ultimately so uh, it's kind of been a frustrating place for them to be in that regard um but I think they can do both. I think they can get a quarterback at four and almost should and kind of have that guy and start thinking about the future. And if it is Trey Lance, I mean, that makes, I think, a lot of sense just in terms of, you know, his age and everything and where his development could be. I don't love that in general, doing that, what they're doing, but I think in their specific situation actually could make sense. So you're saying once you restructure Matt Ryan, this is the best. This is the hole is in the boat, as we talked about with the Philadelphia Eagles and Sometimes the only way to fill the hole in the boat before you sink is to take off your pants and shove it in. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, so are you saying the Falcons should take off their pants? Yeah, I think I think that's what I'm saying. Yes. Look, the <laughs> okay, boat is great. sinking. There's no other way to stop it from sinking. I guess you could take off your shirt in theory, but mm. you know what I'm saying. Okay, sure. All right. I totally lost you there, but okay. We're going to leave it there then. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. Again, we remind you, rate, review, subscribe. We really do value your reviews and your questions. So if you've got one, send it in and we will answer it. BLG, thank you very much. And I will talk to you next week.